You guys already ruined my day. And by you guys, I mean Austin. The second I come <laughs> in the studio today, um, it's Monday, you know, I just, I get it. Everybody out there, I get it. Mm-hmm. I'm somebody, like when I wake up in the morning, I don't understand morning people because I need to ease into my day. Same yeah. with like a swimming pool. Yeah. If I go to the pool, I'm not the person who just sees the water and just jumps right in. I'm the one who's like walking around it, trying to get so hot. <laughs> Dipping your toe in. Yeah, like, yeah, go, yeah, going in slow. And then people are like, get in the pool. That's me with my In week. a minute. Yeah. <laughs> That's me with my mornings and my week. That's why when people are the type where they just spring up out of bed oh, yeah, no. and then hit the day and they can just, I love going to the gym at 6 a.m. I don't, I love running in the freezing cold at 6 a.m. I do not want. No. I woke up today, I was stiff, I was moving around, like, I, today sucks. Today is just going to rot. Drank more than once on the weekend, which is over 30, not... That's a commitment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the real deal. It is the real deal. And just wanted a nice, relaxing day when I have a lot of stuff, I got a lot of thoughts on these trades, mm-hmm. and I walk into the office... I haven't even had a sip of my coffee because it's too hot. And Austin's just yelling already. <laughs> like, bah, 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 bah. And I wish I had a tranquilizer gun. I, I just always around him, I'm thinking, I need the gun from old school where I can just, <laughs> just pump one right into his neck <laughs> when I walk into the office, see him just... He wouldn't even, how many do you think it would take to put Austin down? <laughs> He's like, Austin, what do you, what do you weigh? 135 pounds? Sorry, we'll go with that. Less. Shockingly <laughs> less. I, yeah. Uh, <laughs> somehow. Soaking wet, maybe 135. So much energy, I think, I think I got to put three darts in <laughs> for a normal adult for him to chill out. He's yelling. He's fired up like that, maybe three or four. Like maybe even more than three. Yeah, he's just, there's no, when he's on something, there's just, there's like no getting him off it. You got to beat him with a stick. Like there's no. <laughs> are you, you going to say what his take was this morning? Yeah, like, just he's yelling up? about how Logan Paul is not an athlete. Like randomly, <laughs> of all the things, I know Jake Paul fought over the weekend, but he's just yelling about how Logan Paul's not an athlete. And then we're presenting him. I, I can't help myself. I have to. You have to him. engage now. Yeah, I have to tell him. Yeah, he did get you in. I, he, that's the thing. He always gets me in. <laughs> Because all I think is, okay, I'm going to deal with this guy and tell him two very reasonable measured things. And of course he will say, yes, I acknowledge those things. And all he ever does is argue like a child where he goes, nah, <laughs> and I, it, it ruins my day <laughs> because I go, why did I even try? You know what? Look at it. He's behind the glass right now, just yammering away to himself. <laughs> Is there anyone in there? Were you just were you just talking to yourself? Turn on your microphone. It's not what happened, but that's Is there okay. anybody back there? It's, uh, the, the retelling of JD's events where he was calm and measured and delivering the info. Are uh, there any people back there? Shocking to me. Are boys. there I'm any sure people back there? Is there anyone else in the studio with you right now? Yes or no? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because uh, I just saw your lips moving and your head bobbing pretty hard during that monologue, which tells me you're just still, that's, that's who I'm dealing with, okay? That's who I'm dealing with here, for those of you that are ever curious, like, hey, what's JD's production team like? It's guys who will yell 
alone in a studio about Logan Paul not being an athlete. That's what I got here. <laughs> best welcome, of the best. welcome to the show. Yeah. Real high bar of entry for those of you with big dreams. Every once in a while, I'll get those emails from students. Hey, can I interview you for my student podcast? And I go, of course. Mm. I want to feel good. <laughs> I want to feel good and that I've helped the youth, right? Mm-hmm. Be the change you want to see in the world, mm. I say. Uh, mm. Philosophical yeah. JD on a Monday. <laughs> well, I actually think for the most part, I don't want to paint a wet brush, but that there's a bit of a generational divide in terms of how millennials versus Gen X boomers have handled uh, welcoming the rolling out the welcome mat for the mm. younger generation in media. Let's just say, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> and yeah, I really do think one of the better things is to try to encourage people mm. and just trust that there is enough room for everybody in this business if you're good enough. If you're not then you might get weeded out. Mm-hmm. But if you're good, there should probably be a place for you. And you'll probably find a place. Mm-hmm. So why not encourage somebody with talent? Why not encourage somebody who wants to do something like this? I wish I would have gotten to Austin. <laughs> I drank darted him immediately coming out of college. Uh, just right rip. Boom. Three darts in the neck and I'm out of that meeting. Just gone. Flash. Boom. Gone. I, uh, I got to say, I love Austin's commitment to a take because yeah. I am the type who would just absolutely back down. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Immediately. Like, no, I to, you know what? Good point. Yeah, yeah really. dude, you're old. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm you're not. done. But so Austin shouts. Yeah, Austin. Hey. There's the commitment. Here's the commitment the to the vet. There's the commitment. We do love the kid. I really do. He's the, in a lot of ways, I don't want to say the heartbeat of the show, but he's the adrenaline of the show. He's <laughs> the pulse. He's, he's literally like, you remember, this is an old reference, but remember the movie The Rock? Yeah. Yeah, where they have to do the stab the needle in the chest. In the heart? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just the adrenaline right <laughs> That's Austin to our show. He's that adrenaline spike that sometimes we need to survive. He's still talking to himself back there in the studio. I can see you. I can see you. Now he's defensive about it. Okay, so tons happened this weekend. Uh, I actually got to go down to a couple games, which was fun. Uh, because, yeah, with Leafs Talk, I go to less Leafs games than I've ever gone to before. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I'll start with the Leafs. I go Friday night. I go against Minnesota. And the game was, I got to tell you, pretty awful. It was just not, uh, the the biggest pop was for Granny Shanny. Great moment. Her first game, I went, wow, that's incredible. first game? Yeah, that's what somebody, I, I don't know, maybe I got that wrong. Maybe that's an Austin stat. But, yeah, it was cool to see her in the building and everybody cheering. And I went... I have those little sentimental moments where I go, that's why you want to be here is because everybody will care about you. You will get the odd psychopath who gets into Grandma Dubas's mentions and you go, <laughs> as if these creatures exist. There's no depths. Like, there's no bottom to their just depravity. <laughs> but it is cool being a part of a real life sporting community mm-hmm. that matters. Yeah. And I, I, again, I'm sure that Family members get applause in other places, but it's not like that. There was a little bit of a different tone to yeah. it. Outside of that, though, until William Nylander's goal, it was a lot of me sitting there going, focus, focus, focus. Watch the game, watch the game. Lock in. It just stunk. Yeah. And one of my biggest things was Matthews was just invisible. Yeah. There, I, I thought, okay, you're going to the game, you're sitting up top, you're really going to appreciate more of the game. That's why it's important to go. 
hockey especially. Like, hockey, seeing it from up top. Football, you are worse. Like, I can't imagine how anybody is an actual football analyst who has to cover the games live. Like, I don't understand those people. Mm -hmm. You're up in a luxury box or a media box, and you have to watch down at the field with no first down markers. You can't see anything. Yeah, you have to be basically just watching the monitor. Like, that's the only way that you can learn. And at that point, why do you, like, basketball? Basketball is so much better up close. Um, When you're further away, it, it doesn't feel as good. Baseball... You can kind of sit anywhere, but if you really want to get a feel for the game, you've got to be somewhere, to me anyways, behind home plate is in that area. That's the best Mm -hmm. in terms of feeling smarter as a viewer. With hockey, you can sit anywhere in the building and go, holy crap, this is the sport? Yeah. This is so much different than on television. The translation is just night and day. Yeah. Matthews was nowhere. All night. I kept looking for it, and I'm, you know, having a couple of beers with friends. I'm Mm -hmm. not exactly just laser-focused on the game, taking notes, (laughs) but... He's coming over the boards, and I'm trying to watch his shifts, and he finished the night with one shot. And I wasn't on Leafs Talk that night, but I I remember just kind of thinking, boy, if this continues, this is going to end up being a talking point. And then, boom, all of a sudden, he's got a new line mate. He's back with Mitch Marner, something that we all thought heading into the season would be uh, constant. Mm -hmm. They got split up at one point. It worked to a degree. Yeah. It worked to a degree. Tavares got going. Marner's been brilliant all season long. Nylander is having a career year. He's about to touch his totals and goal for career mm-hmm. in a season. He's he's on the precipice of it. He's one goal away. Already. There's 22 games left. It's pretty impressive stuff from William Nylander this year. He honestly, if, if we were really doing stories of the Leafs season, I think Marner's probably been the most underrated. But Nylander probably has a pretty strong case for who has been the player of the year. For the mm. Toronto Maple Leafs, just based on where he was at versus where he's at right now. Pound for pound. Yeah, just the consistency from the player, the the scoring from the player, just all, all around. Again, he's, I said this last night on Leafs Talk, but he's on pace to be the highest scoring Swedish-born player, or I guess he's not Swedish-born, so it's just Swedish player, because mm-hmm. he's born in Calgary, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, Calgary, Alberta. Yeah, he's the on pace to be the highest scoring Swedish player. It's a tougher one to do <laughs> since <laughs> Henrik Sedin in like the aughts. So impressive, impressive season from him. Anyway, last night, Marner goes back with Matthews. Boom. Matthews looks like Matthews again. All of a sudden there's different space. All of a sudden there's just more opportunities. He ends up with five shots instead of the one shot a piece in each game that he's had. And now you're kind of looking like, okay, this is what it's going to be. And so I've done this already, and I've talked a little bit about this, but one of the fascinating things about getting Ryan O'Reilly is that the Leafs have a clear discrepancy between their best six forwards and everybody else. And finding ways to make sure that ice time fits together and finding ways to maintain chemistry and confidence and all these different things amongst that group is going to be kind of a point of fascination. Keith, historically, has loved to load up. Mm -hmm. They've got more flexibility down through their, their bottom six because there are two guys that can play center responsibly and well defensively, I just still don't think that's going to be the move against Tampa Bay. So I'm excited to see just basically down the stretch how he continues to handle these things, how much he keeps Marner with Matthews. But I would say that despite Keefe trying to maintain sort of a level head in the post game, he, he was not excited about the Marner-Matthews thing. He talked about how when you shuffle lines, you want to see a spark, and we got that so you feel good. But then basically spent the rest of the question diminishing that there were going to be any promises here Mm -hmm. because guess what? Those guys have not done enough in the past 
in the postseason. Yeah. Maybe a different look was supposed to be the better thing. Either way, it's going to be fun watching those top six guys get shuffled around, see what the Leafs do. And then whether they add somebody at the deadline. So we had a weekend where it was crazy. The Rangers are freeing up cap space to get Patty Kane. Turns out they could actually do that. Mm-hmm. And like kind of way more simply than I thought. Than everyone thought. Everyone went, well, yeah. that's that. And then they were like, we put one guy through waivers and we made one trade. Yeah. And now and we're good. And the roster space. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, and no one saw this. Well, because even remember like Kane's comments, like he was so mad. After yeah, but I think we were basing a lot off that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I think we were basing a lot off that. And then people assumed, well, you know, they're probably not going to try to add two of these guys and no, yeah. we were wrong. And then we, Kane gets scratched for roster management purposes, yeah. flies back to Chicago, and everyone's like, well, yeah. turns out the Rangers are doing it. So that hasn't happened yet. But we leave Orlov and Hathaway go to Boston. Nice trade for them. Mm-hmm. Jano goes to Tampa for a very... A draft class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Essentially. A really shocking number of picks, considering the numbers that he's put up this year. Mm. Yeah. This is one of those classic ones where it's like, again, the Tampa region, Tampa Bay Rays and Tampa Bay Lightning. They make a trade for somebody and we're all going to mock it. And then somehow, some way, you know, it's going to work out for them. He's going right. to drop 20 points on the Leafs. <laughs> There's the just playoffs. some, it's just, <laughs> yeah. His nickname is the Ox from Oxbow and he's a heavy player that mm-hmm. can deliver a nasty hit. He scored 24 last year, but it's been well remarked that his shooting percentage. No, well, his shooting percentage last season was almost 20%. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, that's Craig Simpson stuff. Mm -hmm. That's historical number. That's historical output. But you have to sort of trust what they have in Tampa when they identify a player that's right for them Mm -hmm. and what they need and what they're looking for in the playoffs. This is one of those moves where clearly it's an overpay and you tip the cap to Dave Poyle, who's on his way out now and who grabs one nice big haul for incoming Barry Trotz. Mm-hmm. But boy, that was a lot. That was a lot to see them give up. And then, of course, Timo Meyer, yeah. who was the prize of the NHL trade deadline. He ends up moving. Again, it kind of stinks when these guys move late at night on a Sunday, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I understand the league is... The, they're not waiting on media and whatever, but it, it is a little mm, meh. It's a random time. I, I can't tell if it's actually better. Maybe this is one of the things I have to ask the insiders this week. Mm-hmm. If it's better to have this thing spread out where you kind of have content every day or if we miss that one big deadline day. Here's the thing. I actually think we're going to get both. I think mm. we're still going to get both. It's not going to be like all the stars are off the board. Essentially, unless Eric oh, Carlson yeah. gets moved, right? Mm. And Kane, I'm basically already counting as done. Yeah. I'm not really sure I'm willing to put um, John Klingberg into the star category mm-hmm. or Gavrikov into the star category. It's like, a, it's like a tier just under that. Yeah. And there's the Jacob Chikrin thing. But Jacob Chikrin, much like the city that he plays in, there's some fatigue going, what's the Arizona stories? Arena and whether Jacob Chikrin will be getting the pick package that Arizona wants to move off of him. We get it. Like, every team has been involved in this guy at some point. He's been linked to every single franchise. God, it is just, just... Move him so we can all live in peace. Yeah, just, just we can just breathe. Like, okay, he's moved somewhere else. So, yeah, the stars are, for the most part, off the board. 
unless you count Chikrin in that category, and depending on how you feel of the likelihood in which Eric Carlson gets traded. Mm-hmm. But those are still two pretty interesting names heading into a deadline week where, yeah, we've got a few days where work can absolutely still get done. But what I think is really interesting is Elliot Friedman noted that some of the buyers are, and I hate not using his words exactly, but he, I'm paraphrasing here, but hoping for there to be a surplus on the blue line where they can get cheaper and better prices. And that was the part, to me, that's been lost a little bit in what we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Big-time buyers have made big-time moves and removed a lot of their picks from the board. And I can't help but feel like a team like Columbus, we'll see, but they've got to be sweating just a touch going, damn, maybe we held out a little too much with the Bruins. They moved off us. They went and grabbed Orlov and Hathaway. They did basically the Ryan O'Reilly trade, and they said, this is the template, two players, some retention, you know, same team, Mm -hmm. everything. They used that and went, uh, what are we going to do now? How are we going to make our move? How many teams are left? Because now we've seen Tampa use up basically all their picks. Yep. Toronto use up a ton of their picks. Mm-hmm. Like Boston use up a ton of their picks. And now New Jersey use up a ton of picks. Four main buyers. Yep. So you still have Carolina out there. But Carolina's thing I don't think was ever to get Gavrikov. Sure, every team can add to their defensive depth. Mm-hmm. Great. What I think is cool in two parts can those buyers out east still find a way to now get defensive help but cheaper? How, will those prices continue to come down? And is that going to be the story of the week? And what are we going to see out west? Because this is the weird fa- point of fascination for me. Out east, you could, of course, make the case for all these teams to be pushing picks in the middle and, God, the rich get richer. The What is it? Five of the six best teams record-wise belong to the Eastern Conference right now by a points percentage. It's just, it's, it's, the conference is so much better. And you saw that last night with the Seattle game against Toronto, where one team is just not there. And that's the Seattle Kraken. They had some shots. They had some moments. They look like a fine hockey team, but Toronto, they have the star power and that's continued to show up recently in their schedule. Yeah. Whether it's been Ryan O'Reilly hat tricks or Matthews getting his multi goal game or Nylander finishing one in overtime against Minnesota in just brilliant fashion. Stars matter. Yeah. There's a reason why the Leafs are pushing all in and it's because they have these guys all in their prime. Mm -hmm. So, but the West, there's so much opportunity there. And if you're a team like Edmonton, how could you possibly look your fan base in the eye and say, yeah, we held on to picks and prospects and the like, because we felt this wasn't our time. You have <laughs> never had a better chance. Yeah. This reminds me a lot, actually, of where the Leafs were at a couple of years ago during the pandemic when it was the North Division. Mm. When we saw, hey, you can make this Nick Felino trade even more so now because you should have a cakewalk to a conference final. Yeah. That was supposed to be the plan. And yeah, it didn't really work out that way. <laughs> Either way, for Edmonton, I just, I think that this is now the time for them. And so you're going to have some big-time Canadian markets that are still at the center of this, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's going to be Edmonton, what the hell is Calgary going to do? Is Winnipeg really not going to try and push in and grab somebody, grab something? Toronto still needs a defenseman. That makes for an interesting deadline to me. I know I sound like I'm shilling for the company, but I just genuinely <laughs> believe this. Like, I want to have an exciting week. I love deadline week. Yeah. I loved when I was... I know we're never going to recapture this quite because now we're so much more on our phones and 
people just react to the stuff differently. But man, one of the best things about hockey was sitting down, trying to skip school in high school yeah, yeah, and yeah. sit down on the couch and just watch the trades roll in all day and react. Best time. I never yeah. got to experience I know. That. Oh, uh, poor Joe. It was so good. <laughs> yeah. It was so, so Wait, good. They traded what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I'm still excited for the deadline. I think that this is rolling out kind of perfectly. And I'm more hopeful now after these trades that the Leafs are going to be able to do something on their blue line. I just, I'm looking at the names of guys that are still remaining. The prices that have been set for some of these moves. And, and I just can't help but feel like some teams are going to want to get in on this. And our team's really going to try to hold on to depth pieces right now that are just not in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the entire Western Conference, the whole playoff bracket is separated by six points. And there's six Eastern Conference teams that have better records than anybody in the West. Yeah. So the discrepancy is wide. It's really. Yeah. It's, it's I don't want to say it's as wide as it's ever been. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure there have been years. The yeah. West was dominant for a really long time. They had just a ton of really good yeah. teams. And it was actually the East that was pretty thin. So this is just kind of a balancing out effect. No big deal. But uh, this just there, I, you, I, this just feels like a... I got a tingle. <laughs> I got a tingle. That the Leafs are going to be able... Everyone, nobody thinks they're done. They're clearly still trying to add. They mm-hmm. know where they're at. And they know they need another defenseman. We all know they need another defenseman. Yeah. And waving Jordy Ben, it's not exactly headlines. Right. But I thought that was a pretty strong indicator that this is a team that's looking for the better version of Jordy Ben. Mm-hmm. They brought him in. They tried it out. It didn't work. They need a better version. How high up they go, not sure. Seemed like a week ago, prices for guys like Shen even were going to be too much for lease. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a little bit more hopeful. Is there anybody that's like caught your eye lately or is... No, it's Luke Shen. Luke that's Shen. who I want the Leafs to get. Mm. Yeah. The nerds will hate it. I absolutely love it. I think that's exactly the kind of guy that they need. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I don't... They, they can't go into the playoffs with a third pairing of Sandine and Lilligren. It's just, it's not viable. And you can't be one injury away from Connor Timmons having to play minutes in a series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm-hmm. It's just not a thing. So yeah, go out and get somebody who is really strong on pucks, strong in front of the net, can kill penalties... And give you a buffer from those guys and give you a different physical element that this team continues to need. Because, yeah, you can't do it with just one trade, but all of a sudden they added two forwards up front that do a lot more of that, that Mm -hmm. give them a little bit more bite, some more physicality, some more intensity. You add that to your blue line as well. I think that this team is going to take a bit more of a shape. I mentioned it last week and I was talking about Muzzin on on Thursday show where I said they're still missing that. They're missing the guy with some thump. I'd like to see them get that. Historically, this has been a front office whether it was Lou or whether it's been Dubas that has liked having that presence somewhere on the blue line. And right now they don't have it anyway. Um, Raptors. It's pretty clear that the Jakob Pertle defensive numbers in San Antonio, that maybe there was some regression had to do with who was in front of them. Losing DeJounte Murray and having a season where the Spurs were sitting a ton of guys. You looked at the Yak numbers and you went, boy, this is not great. And you never know, right? You never know with this stuff because it can happen earlier than you think sometimes. I remember this was with the Ibaka story, right? You remember this? In Orlando when they made the trade for him? And the Ibaka trade turned out to be phenomenal for the Toronto Raptors. I'm just saying when they got him, the conversation around bringing him in was, are we sure he's still the same impact player on the defensive end? Mm -hmm. Because the numbers have slipped quite significantly from the guy we saw in Oklahoma City to the guy we see in Orlando. And Jakob Pertl had the same thing going on. 
it was, boy, this is a bit of a risky move considering the numbers are not great. And this is actually the case for Janelle, by the way, and the rest of the kind of bad players, like Ryan O'Reilly, who's got the bad numbers, immediately comes in and gets put with good players and goes, oh, there's a hat trick. He's still got it. Situation matters. It's so nice watching Pirtle just be able to do so many of the little things. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Set a screen, roll to the basket, grab a big rebound, box out, make a nice pass where the ball doesn't stick to him when they give it to him in the high post. Yep. It just, it's incredible how much he has just made this team more watchable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the team is fun to watch with Jakob Pirtle in there. Yeah. They've got rim protection, and I don't, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I, I still think that the process for the Raptors has not been a good one going in this deadline. I'm not going to shift off that. Like, you saw the game against the Cavs yesterday, and it's no Fred Van Vliet, so back-to-back, you can make all the excuses you want. They got beat wire-to-wire by a Cav, that Cavs team. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Completely. the Cavs are one of the best teams at home in the NBA, and that's where you would have to go in order to beat them in a playoff series. So I do think that that matters in this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think the Raptors kind of did put themselves in the middle. I still don't like their deadline. But I do like the Jakob Pertle trade more. My only thing with it is I keep thinking, I can't believe you guys really tried to get away with playing without a center. (laughs) It does make that whole experiment look a little ridiculous. Yeah, like, hey, turns out having a big man who can set a screen, roll the basket, and catch it and finish it, pretty important. (laughs) Turns out that getting stops, having someone near the rim who is going to block a shot and not fall eight feet backwards like Boucher does is pretty important. And so, yeah, it's it's been nice to watch him. I would say that the teams they're beating are not exactly world beaters. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the Detroit Pistons squeaking by them on a Saturday afternoon <laughs> was not the best viewing experience they I've ever squeaked had. squeaked by the Pistons twice in the last six games. Yeah, I know. That's it. <laughs> so, because people, you know, Austin's texting me. He's going, hey, what is the kind of story of the Raptors here? And they could win this many games out of this. And it was, what, what was it going to be? Seven of eight? Had they won that one? Yeah? Anyway, I don't have the schedule in front of me. Either way, I went, yeah, it is. I want to talk about them, but it's not 7 of 8 and they're turning the corner against amazing teams. If they beat the Cavs, I would have said, holy crap, this is a little bit more something, and Mm -hmm. it wasn't exactly that. So, yeah, I still think that they're kind of in the middle. But Jakob Pertl has been just so fun to watch. And, And I think we're all sort of at that spot where it's hard to pivot into rooting for the Raptors again. I know some of you just do it nonstop. I mean, rooting for wins rather than being okay with losses and feeling as though the direction of this team was going to be tanking in trades. We'll still need to see Pirtle in the lineup more. Fred Van Vliet will come back. We'll see how they kind of coalesce over the the long stretch here the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's good. Yeah. Like he's just a, he's he's just a good player. Yeah. Yeah. A solid player fits their team. Um, we'll see what that draft pick ends up becoming. Might have been too soon, depending on what happens this offseason. But either way, like you can see, like the price was justifiable for this player. Yeah. He's just a legitimate starting center who does all of the little things well. Nothing other than maybe the shot blocking or the rim protection that I think is elite. Mm-hmm. Maybe the rim, the rebounding is pretty damn good. But again, it's hard. It's easy to stick out on this Raptors team in that regard. Yeah, 18 but, against the Pelicans. Yeah, just but yeah. yeah, everything else. It's just the little small details of the game. Well, and that's it. You nailed it. It's all the little stuff that like isn't, you know, super sexy, but it's like just boxing out. It's defensive. Re- like finally, yeah. there's a guy who just can swallow up defensive rebounds yeah. after playing the first half of a season with yeah. no 
center who yeah. can do that ever or, or if there's a ball like point. bouncing around the rim he just goes up and tips it no he's puts great. It home he's he's really like i said an enjoyable player to watch yeah okay now here's the downside mm. or here's the downtake from the weekend with the raptors so the reports are the raps turned down three first round picks for og and Masai feels pretty confident that he'll still be able to get that in the offseason. Okay. I think the pressure's on there. Mm. He nailed it with the Lowry thing. Again, maybe he could have traded Lowry earlier, whatever. At the deadline, Lowry's price had dropped out. It was just, it wasn't good value, whatever he was going to be able to get Lowry for. I think if anything, he was really trying to move Lowry at the end of it, really trying to hope that, a franchise icon would get a run with a competitive team because now even looking back on the Taylor Horton Tucker stuff, you're like, why would they have ever even done that? <laughs> yeah, of course, just hold on to him and go into the off season. Yeah. And once the Lakers removed pieces like that from the board, you went, Oh, okay, whatever it worked out. You got a roster player for Kyle. Yeah. Again, quibble with the timing. What you ended up getting was a fair price, especially given what pressures that you has done for them recently. Three first round picks for OG and an He's working his way back from an injury, so you get a little bit of a grace period, I guess, kind of-ish. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a lower body thing. It didn't have to deal with his conditioning. There was a scary moment in that last game where he flew in for a defensive rebound in the first half, and I went, whoa, he came just out of the screen out of nowhere. And then he sort of landed back on his wrist, and I wasn't sure if it was the one that he hurt, but mm-hmm. he, he looked like he was grabbing a little bit. Um, he's playing a ton of minutes. 32, 39, 34 in his three games since he's returned. Uh, since then, though, he shot two of 12 from three. Again, grace period. And 35% from the floor overall. He's averaging nine points, four fouls a game, two turnovers. A steal and a block, which you expect from him, and two assists and four and a half rebounds. <sighs> when you put it that way. <laughs> when you put it that way. Yeah. Yeah, not good. He just, this is just me, but when I'm watching him, he doesn't, he doesn't look locked in. Mm. Mm. He looks a little disinterested at times, and I wonder what his level of frustration is that he's still with the team. And here's my thing. He was being openly shopped for a month. Yeah. There was some buzz about him potentially having wanted out before the season. Before the season, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's been a great soldier for this team. He's been quiet about it. He's always pushed back to the rumors. All of those things. But there is way too much smoke around OG and Anobi for me to believe that none of it is true. Yeah. Yeah. That absolutely no part of him has wanted out of Toronto and wants a different role somewhere else and wants to try something new and try to optimize his value heading into his walk year, which is next season. Mm-hmm. You hear that you got offered three first-round picks to go play for a different team that really wanted you and that your team says that's not good enough? Tough. Mm-hmm. You're sitting there and you're only getting seven shots a night against Cleveland and Detroit. And again, a little bit of game script with the Cleveland game where... But still, he played 34 minutes. Yeah. Like, he got his time. It just, it doesn't feel good watching him. 
That's all I can say right now. Maybe time will change because it's only three games. Mm-hmm. It's only three games since he's been back. So fine, fine, fine. Throw this in my face if I end up getting it wrong. But that's a pretty big risk that they took in passing on those three picks for him. Yeah. He's a guy who gets hurt. So he's already scared me once since he's been back with that fall. Mm-hmm. He has not done anything like overwhelmingly well, right? He's going to always play good defense. He's always going to grab a steal during a game. He reads the plays extremely yeah. well for him to grab. He, he's got to be basically at a steal and a half the rest of the way. That's who he is as a player. One and a half steals a game. That's basically the like bar mm-hmm. for him to pass for somebody with his wingspan, his ability on the defensive floor, his minutes, everything. I just so far to me, there has been some body language stuff that I have not loved and the results have been pretty poor. And so you walk into an offseason if it continues this way where it still doesn't really feel like he fits. And that's the other thing. Pirtle feels like he fits, right? Immediately yeah. you go, look how well this guy fits into the offense. Look at everything he's able to do, opening mm-hmm. things up for the pick and roll, rebounds, all the things that I mentioned. OG, I still, I'm, I'm watching him play and I'm going, what, what are you actually supposed to be doing here? Like, what, what is the defined role for you? Because it actually feels like it's changing again now. Now they're moving you into another guard spot at times and you're becoming a spot-up shooter. He's less on the ball. It just, yeah, uh, bad vibe with it. So, yeah, r- risky move from Asai Ujiri and something to continue to monitor for me. Uh, quickly, before we hit the break, Jays. Mm. My number one thing is, thank God they're getting the pitch clock out of the broadcast view. Oh, it was, oh my goodness. It was brutally right in the way. I couldn't even watch balls and strikes. It was unbelievable. (laughs) All I was doing was staring at the clock. So it was stressing me out. No, it it was too too much. And and I'm, and I'm taking that and I'm putting it on the pitcher and I'm sitting there going, holy crap, is he going fast enough? Anyway, the clock, (laughs) they, they got to do something with it where you can just never see it in the broadcast because if it's there, it's, you're going to watch it like the 24 clock, like beep. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it has to be like the NBA shot clock. I would imagine. Right. It's going to be still, I think, there somewhere off the side because it has to be in plain sight for the pitcher. True. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Like every, the pitcher has to be able to see it. Mm-hmm. Just as a viewer, it's both good and bad. The game's clearly going to be sped up because of this. Guys are going to work faster. And that's going to be a good thing for everyone involved. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Nobody needs three plus hours of regular season baseball every single night of the mm-hmm. summer. Yeah. Nobody. Not one soul needs it. Okay, we get 162 of these games. It's okay to shave off 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah it's great. So uh, when I, yesterday, even when I tweeted about it, I got some people going, the game will be shorter. And I went, yeah, That's thanks. <laughs> Wasn't my point. It's just going to take some getting used to. And the part that I actually found other than looking at the clock, most jarring was just seeing how the pitchers are working. And that there were certain guys that really did feel like they were rushed in their delivery. And when certain guys started giving up hits, and it's spring. Yeah. Okay? I get it. I just couldn't help but wonder, okay, is this, is this working for you? How long is this going to take for you to get comfortable with this? Will you ever get comfortable with this? How many times during a ball game are you going to be, you know, doing the quick glance over the clock and then all of a sudden you rush your motion a little bit, you don't get really set, mm-hmm. and you throw a bad pitch? So, yeah, it's going to take some time for me to get used to personally. That being said, the guy I think it's really going to be good for, you say Kikuchi. Here's why. Kikuchi, last season... He was under 20 seconds every single time delivering to the mound when there were no base runners on. Mm. When the runners went on, it went up to 25 seconds 
Wow. So he was breaking the rule. I think a lot of this stuff has been in his head. I think a lot of people think that the stuff has been in his head. You know why I know that? Because all of the best analysts in the game and all of the best people around the game keep saying his stuff is amazing. Yeah. I've watched enough baseball to know that it is. They went out and got him because they thought that he had Robbie Ray profile, a guy who won the Cy Young two years ago. So, yeah, I think Kikuchi is a good baseball player who has not figured it out between the ears. It's one spring start, but this is what we do. <laughs> spring is the time for hope, and I'm hoping that you say Kikuchi has been unlocked a little bit. He... He went two innings, five Ks. He gave up a single. Mm -hmm. The most encouraging thing was that there were 14 whiffs, and he looked pretty solid with the new breaking ball. Not throwing as many fastballs, not really throwing that cutter that we're used to seeing from him. But I do wonder that if this pitch clock is going to be welcome to certain guys who, when there are runners on, and when they have that at a time, they're not using it well. I know you could make the counter-argument of... No, well, now they're going to feel rushed. and No, I think for guys like him who have the talent and who get the note, right? Certain guys just get that one note. They really go, hey, you just need to fill the zone. That's what they say. Hey, yeah. throw strikes, man. Yeah. Throw hey, strikes. just throw strikes. This could be a good thing for him. It, again, one spring start, one, two innings. One spring start. Two innings, five strikeouts, 14 wins. Six outs of baseball. <laughs> I liked it. I, I could see it. I, I squinted. I looked at it and I said, hmm, hmm, this feels right. I'm <laughs> buying Kikuchi stock right now. It's, <laughs> it's basically free. It's the Simpsons. Would you like some more stock? And it's on the toilet reel and I'm just grabbing little bits of it. It's Kikuchi stock. Who cares? I'm grabbing it up. I'm rolling with it. I'm into this. The other guy from spring, cause I don't care who hits home runs. I got to be honest. I'm not Ennis where he goes, did you add Addison Barger's home run? <laughs> I don't care. Addison Barger. I'm sorry. I don't care. <laughs> well, I, I'm thinking actually that one of the smartest things that you can do with spring training baseball is live bet the over uh. because early on it starts out where there's real pitchers mm. and then all of a sudden they start breaking out the, sorry, who are yous? Yeah, guys yeah. with numbers like yeah. 79. Yeah. Like, Ooh, I don't yeah. think you're making the big club. <laughs> yeah. But you've got hungry hitters. You've been in college for how long? Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> and yeah, it's just so far these last two games, that's been sort of the playbook with it where it's low scoring early and then... Yeah, well, if you look at all the scores, it's yeah. like everything's going over 10, Old JD 15. gambling brain has been <laughs> locking it in with these Blue Jays games, okay? It's been noted. <laughs> you're betting spring training is that what you're doing all week i normally avoid <laughs> i normally avoid i do like a little preseason nfl under action because those do actually hit a fair amount and i always get sucked in because the quote-unquote sharps say this is actually the time where you can most easily predict the outcomes and i go oh, if you say so <laughs> i guess i'll jump in here with what it is y'all are doing but yeah this is a different story anyway so the other guy that i've been caring about is nate pearson Austin forwarded me an article from Keegan Matheson and was reading that. And then we watched the game and he still hits 101 on the gun. He got a nice punch out where he hit 99. I like that he gets to focus on relief pitching. That's great. I like that they're not going to rush him into the bigs and that there's really no internal expectation for him to be a major leaguer today. That said... He just suffers from something similar to what Julian Merriweather did from a fan base standpoint. Julian Merriweather, whatever, he was traded for Josh Donaldson. And when you're that, people are just going to remember who you are and you're mm -hmm. never going to have 
a feeling where the people watching you were not going to have those high expectations. And that's the same, same, same thing with Nate Pearson. Would every single fan love it if he turned into a solid relief pitcher? If he was someone who could give you a couple innings, he could give you one inning, he could just touch that 100 on the gun, have control, get guys out, awesome. Um, his inning was not so hot. He gave up a ton of singles, bunch of contact, but then also some strikeouts. It was just basically up and down. It's what we've sort of seen from him in the past. But I just, I couldn't help but shake that is every time I see that guy step out on the mound, six foot five, whatever he is, I think mm-hmm. he's six five, might be six four, might be six six. Six six, two fifty five. Yeah. Whenever I see that mound of a man step out on the mound and run it up to 100, <laughs> I'm going to get hopeful with it. Yeah. And so it, it just breaks my heart is a little strong. <laughs> that's a, oh, wow. But no, it, it, that's what I was saying. I empathize with the guy. Right. I just empathize with a guy who we put so much on mm-hmm. and fair because that's sports. Yeah. Like, you know, he was, he's getting lots of money. He's that living a pretty prospects. good life. You know, yeah. he talked about how baseball stopped being fun for him because of all the injuries. So you, you hope that he can recapture that. He is a workhorse off the diamond you know he's someone who's very into sports science been our boy Arden Zwelling has written a lot about that in the past he's got Mm -hmm. tons of good pieces on it um I do wonder if the pursuit for velocity did impact some of the mechanics in a certain way that led his career down a tough path maybe something for later generations to figure out Mm. when they when AI takes over everything oh no Oh, yeah, it's even going for us, apparently. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, do a show in the style of J.D. Bunkus. No, that is a bad show. We well, can do Pete's a better show. scripts for yeah. you from AI. We can do a better show. Uh, anyway, so, yeah. Good luck to Nate Pearson. I don't have expectations, but I do. I also, I do. All right. Quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk about the big boxing match from the weekend. Sportsnet 590. 590. The fan. All right. So Jake Paul did the thing. I actually screwed up the time it was starting. So I missed the first round. Who won the first round, Austin? You're our boxing guy. Uh, to Tommy. Me. Tommy Fury won Tommy the first Fury round. Tommy Fury definitely won the first round. Uh, it felt like the entire fight, it was going mostly Tommy's way. Mm-hmm. But Paul had the biggest moments. Mm hmm. And then there was the weird point deduction late, and I went, and plus the broadcast was so pro Jake Paul. Oh, Brutal. it was wild. It was, <laughs> I, I it was, was insane. insane. I was really yeah. close to muting it, because every time yeah. he would do something, like, well, look at Jake Paul here, and I'm like, he didn't even but do that's anything. Fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's understandable to a degree. Yes. Because everybody is looking at this going, I hope the Golden Goose continues to drop the gold turds, because look at ESPN. Even ESPN went... They did a post. Yeah, there's like three articles on them. They did a post on their Instagram, on the gram. On the gram. That was Jake Paul had the better landing percentage, and it was the eyeballs emoji. Yeah, because he landed he way less punches. <laughs> yeah. Like every yeah. single round, he landed less by punches. Like, by like it, 30. I was looking at I'm like, who did this post? Even this is just outrageous. What are they trying to insinuate? Yeah, it was. It was wild. like only. It was like two percent too. Oh, uh, anyway, it wasn't that much. It, no, but dude, that brutal. was that fight. Yeah, was Tommy Fury's fight? Oh, hundred percent. 
the only reason, the only reason any of us felt like Jake was going to pull it out was mm-hmm. because he's Jake Paul and the other guy's Tommy Fury. And it's in Saudi Arabia <laughs> with a broadcast that is designed completely around vehemently pro Jake Paul. Yeah. Okay. Austin, turn on your mic. I want you to know this because you're our resident boxing guy. What what were your boxing takes? What what's the sweet science takes oh, from this? Oh, it was a, that was a tough one to watch for <laughs> yeah. boxing curious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't uh, does that qualify as the sweet science? <laughs> I would say no. I was a lot of hugging. Like there oh, was a goodness. lot of there was a lot of hugs in that in that ring. They really loved grabbing each other. Trying to throw some rabbit punches. Well, the first round especially, they they clinched like nine yeah. times. Oh, my God. Credit to them, though. They kept going forward. They did keep going did. forward, and they, they, they there were some bombs being landed, but uh, I'm not sure with how much power. I, yeah. I will say that fight had more quality than some of the previous fights I've seen from Jake Paul. Like, it actually felt like, okay, these guys are somewhat skilled. Yeah, Whereas they kept, in, like, they the, kept, like, like, like chucking. Like the, the Nate Robinson one, I was like, oh, Ugh. my goodness. What well, yeah. Watching? <laughs> what am I watching? <laughs> but a low yeah. bar. Like, that's when a it was a complete bar. joke. Like, the Ben Askren, it's like, get, they, they wipe this. Get this out of here. I, it's, why did you do that, Nate? Yeah. Why? <laughs> God. Now Poor Nate. Forever known as the guy. I know, That one man. screenshot one of, my, of him laying on the mat. The worst part is Nate was a two-sport athlete in college. Mm-hmm. Sick running back. Could have gone pro, NFL, or NBA. Mm-hmm. One of, to me, those guys are some of the greatest athletes ever. You're five foot nine. You play in the NBA and you can attack the rim. Yeah. That is out of this world insane. <laughs> I don't even think he's five foot nine. I've stood next to him. He's shorter than me. So yeah, I'm more, I, I thought more than an inch. And for his, like when I, when everyone thinks of Nate Robinson, they think of that fake NBA logo with him passed oh, out no. <laughs> yeah. oh, no. on the canvas. It hurts me, man. Nate's one of my guys. Yeah. He's and listed at 5'9". Yeah, he's not. Yeah. He's he's not. He's shorter than that. I, I If I was going to guess, maybe 5'7". Maybe. Mm. Like I said, I've stood next to him, and I've been in sneakers and same with him. And, Matt. yeah, I don't tower over him, but I'm noticeably taller than he is, and I'm 5'10". Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What is it? Do the math. You know? <laughs> Do the math. Do the math. Uh, anyway. Hot seat though, JD, all your MMA boys. What's to say about Anderson Silva? Nothing, because none of those guys, this was always the take that, first of all, Anderson Silva is what? 40? Like 50, yeah, 50 <laughs> something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little past the prime. Maybe Ben Askren though? Anderson Silva is 47 years old. 47. Okay? 47 years old, has been in 1 million fights. <laughs> And stepped in to fight a boxer and did not get embarrassed. Can box. This has always been the take. Jake Paul against amateurs, against former athletes, and against MMA fighters. Old MMA fighters. Yep. That Ashkin was 38. Older and smaller MMA fighters Mm -hmm. can win. He is tough enough to whoop ass in boxing against basically anybody on the planet who isn't a pro boxer. You put him up against a professional boxer... He's going to lose. And Tommy Fury is as little a pro boxer and as big a celebrity as you can get. And he lost. And it was notable how he lost. And then it was, it was, you know, what was my favorite part of the entire fight was when it was over and Jake started to try to go into excuses. Mm. He went, well, you know, I had a bad camp. I got a little, I was a little sick and my shoulder got hurt. That was my best performance. And the crowd 
boo. They're like, nah, man. <laughs> this isn't it, Jake. That was basically what the boys were yelling from the stands. I loved it. And then he went into, uh, but credit to Tommy and blah, 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 blah. And then he tried, what was the other excuse he tried to throw out there? Do you remember, Austin? He tried one more, he tried one more out there where, oh, maybe it was uh, earlier when he said, I need to look at the fight. I thought I won. I I, I don't necessarily agree uh, with the result. Yeah. The crowd booed him on that one too. So he got <laughs> double boo. And then the only time he got a pop was when he went, and thank you to the King of Saudi Arabia. He did that <laughs> yeah. boo at the end that every wrestler knows. You know that Logan, having done all the wrestling, the non-athlete Logan Paul, you know he said, do the thing where you say you like where they're from. <laughs> well, Logan Paul, like the, that little rant that he did, I think he fired up the wrong corner because he was like, he was like, cussing out like the whole Fury family. Yeah. And then Tommy comes out swinging yeah. and I'm like, I think you pissed off the wrong guy. I think the Fury dad is the scariest, one of the scariest guys. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the pregame thing where it was the joke? They tried to do some spoof of the Peaky Blinders, but with the Furies. And I don't know if I saw it. Yeah, it's Tyson going like, no fighting, no fighting, you know, by the order of the Oh, Fury. yeah, yeah. And then he's talking to the whole gang, and then his dad's there, and his dad's like, if anyone gets in my face, and I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> this guy, I actually would be more afraid to fight the dad than Tyson, <laughs> you're not getting out of either one the John, same person. John Fury. Like, you're leaving yeah. a piece of you in whatever fight yeah. you have with any of those guys, okay? Yeah. Us normies, even Tommy is going to put you in a straight-up oh, body bag. Easily. Um, Lots not, of CTE. And, yeah, like, it's just, again, you're never going to be the same. Whether it's you walk different, whether it's, like, you know, you slur now. It's just, you know, you fall you can't asleep. can't see. Who you knows? fall asleep at random times. All of a sudden, you're just passing out on the bus, and you wake up, and they go, uh, Kipling Station. End of the line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Aldershot. Yeah. What? what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's happening. But I think the dad kills you. John Fury. I, I don't, I think the other guys stop. And they go, let's stay out of prison. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of humanity. And the dad just goes, like the mountain in Game well, of well, Thrones. The, the, the dad is ready to fight Jake he Paul. He gets one on point. top of you, and he just he ends you like the guy, the fancy dude who's. Oh, that's actually the dude who's in Last of Us, eh? Which huh? one? The John, guy who John gets Fury? his skull crushed. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 I just put that together. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are we getting out here? Last oh, of yeah. Us stunk last night. I finished the Leafs game, and I went and watched it, and it was the only one so far where I went, are you serious? We're just going to waste our time with this one filler app? I mean, every, sh every show has that, right? I know. A couple nah, fillers. But, but the whole thing with this one is it's supposed to be one season of this story. Is True. my understanding from the video game bros who go, I know what happens, and I go, I don't care. I, don't care I haven't really know. been involved in the show. I played the video game. Yeah. haven't really watched it. See, that's what I'm saying. I don't want to know. All right? Mm -hmm. I just want to watch my zombie show in peace <laughs> after least talk on a sunday i threw it on i went "Ooh, i'm excited i'm gonna check this out i got good time we made good time on the sleeves game mm. and then snore fest i i was hitting the fast forward <laughs> oh That's a bad you're sign. that kind of guy yeah wow. i was dude it's it's that was stunk it was boring true so true. i started banging the 15 second forward being like we're gonna get through this and i went to bed i do it sometimes anyway to your point, J.D., John Fury served four years out of an 11-year sentence for assault. Yeah. And it's, uh, I can't describe what he did in the assault, but, oh, man, it is an assault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it is an assault. Boys, read the, read the details yeah. on your own. <laughs> yeah. You like inspired I said, me to look it up. Like I said, he's the scariest one of the Furies. No question. Like, you'd and I'd be able to pick that out immediately. Like, you'd see Tyson, and he'd come in there like a giant. He's going like, yeah, okay, I'm, this guy's going to... You know, I just got to tuck my neck, I guess, and hope to live. 
but the dad is not going to stop, and he's going to finish you. So the Fury you'd most like to fight is Tommy. Oh, yeah, no question. Tommy, Tyson, <laughs> dad. That's the totem pole for me. Not for everyone. Like, again, if you're Deontay Wilder, obviously mm. the dad is last. You, mm. like, clean him up. Right. You know, it just, it's done. But for me, a normie, stepping to, what's dad's name again? John? John, John Fury. Dead. Immediately dead. There's just no hope of survival for me. I'm coming up, especially since I got a loud mouth and a punchable face. <laughs> he's not gonna. You're gonna make a hot take, and he's yeah, just he's gonna. He's not crunch gonna you. go. Oh, this poor guy. He's gonna go. This is good for mankind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing everyone a favor. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, I think that they called it right. My only thing now is they, they. Jake Paul has the rematch clause, and he's like, "Yeah, let's run it back." And I'm going. I guess we'll watch it because there's it's still fun to watch boxing and it doesn't take that long. But does anybody really want it? Is anybody would was anybody going, man, I'm excited to see this again. No. I wanna you know, like we finished the Volkanovsky fight. Yeah. Him and Makachev. And we all went, We need now, that fight now. now. Please don't Do blow five this more moment. rounds. Give us another <laughs> one of these. Anywhere, anytime, whatever. The Jake Paul Tom Fury one, I went. I guess, like, what, then Jake Paul maybe wins and we get a trilogy. Like, Sick. it just, it, this kind of feels like the end of the road for Paul because now if he goes back to MMA guys, you know. He's a big fraud now. Oh, because yeah. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, he it's went not, to a boxer. A, again, I, I want to be careful with fraud because he's clearly a good enough boxer. He is. He's a but boxer. he doesn't do anything incredibly well in the, in the ring. There's no special trait to him. He's not a real boxing prospect, which is what he's been trying to sell himself that's as. That's the thing. You can't go back yeah. now because everyone would just say, like, see, that's, you are yes, ducking that's, 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 that's exactly right. And so, but he can't go up in boxers because he's fighting literally the worst one he could possibly fight yeah. with a name. And he lost. So what? Okay, you run it back. But even if he wins the trilogy, I feel like that's it for Jake Paul because he can't go up. He can't go down. He's This is it. He's kind of stuck. Losing this fight, he kind of got stuck. I don't think there's another move for him. Maybe someday there's like a McGregor or a Diaz thing that he can do back with MMA where people will feel like that's more legitimate. But even then, I just don't see that happening with those guys. Anyway, quick break. I, I mentioned I didn't really talk a lot about the trades off the top because I have Mike Fuda and he's next. Here's how to see. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars. Share it. Do all those nice things. And make sure you listen closely to my next guest because he always drops good nuggets good nuggets of information one of the only guys on the planet who knows who those names are in the Timo Meyer trade it's uh, two time Stanley Cup champion sports and analyst Mike Fuda what's up buddy how we doing I don't know them as well as you'd like to. I do. Who are those guys? <laughs> I did do some homework. That one name I was Google, I was like, whoa, I was on the phone after I know. I know the first thing he's going to ask me is, who the heck is this guy? And I'm like, well, so I went to one of my sources, Mark Gennetti, and found out as much as I could about some of these guys because uh, the one guy was like, I thought it was like, I was watching a lot of WWE. It was a full fledged WWE day yesterday, nice. which was giving my mind a break from hockey but because i knew i wanted to watch the leaf game and their games on all day and stuff like that and then i saw the one name and i was like that sounds like somebody that's in the wwe holy smokes yeah. um he's pretty darn pretty darn good i guess he's the top player going back to san jose so anyways yeah here's uh new jersey got timor ibragimov uh santeri hataka zachary emmond and a 2024 fifth round pick. That's pretty good. That's pretty, I, was that? Uh, and then, yes, here are the names that San Jose gets. 
Uh, Andreas Janssen, who we know, um, yeah. him and Kasperi Kapanen, uh, once famous restricted free agents for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the, the future second and third lines. Ah, no, maybe not so much. Uh, okay, Fabian Zetterland, Nikita Okotiuk, Shakir Mukamadulian. Mukabelian there, if yeah. I'm not, and I'm That's not trying guy? to make fun of the names. They're just really I'm not hard trying to make to fun of the name either. I just I genuinely know, did not that, read them until right that now. That one is one that I knew, and I really think from what I've heard, there's some there's some upside that this kid could be a top four defenseman. So okay. it's a it's a strange trade for me because again, we've talked about this kind of stuff in the past. It's it's what you like. Like I'm sure the Carolina Hurricanes are sitting there going, and I have no idea what their offer was, but yeah. they I felt this was the perfect fit for Carolina or New Jersey. And they're probably, they're, they're going head to head. I mean, Carolina's got $10 million in cap space. And right now they still have $10 million in cap space. Mm-hmm. And I felt that this player, because I know in the past, Tom Dundon has not been really a big fan of rental players. This was a fit, fit, fit all the way through. And it's again, obviously the San Jose guys like the prospects better that New Jersey made available because my understanding is New Jersey universally there are four top prospects Hughes, Mercer. There's a couple of, none of them moved. They, in other words, they got to hold on to their knives mm-hmm. and get the player they want. And San Jose seemingly likes the, you know, I mean, obviously some of these picks turn into higher picks if there's a success, I believe, mm-hmm. but it's crazy. It's, it's, these prospects are not guys that just fall off the map as stud, stud, stud. Yeah. Yeah. But, but you gave up a stud. So if you're going to fall back on the, who got the best player, my understanding it's not even close. It's not even close. Who got the best player. And there's some projects going the other way. So we'll okay. see what happens, but it wasn't as, it wasn't as shiny a deal as I expected after all this holdout from wire, which you're going to get. I thought somebody was getting a pure golden prospect and a couple first, but we'll see. Okay, Mike, this is this is why you're the man to have on today, though, is because, well, first of all, shout out to the people that put in the time to evaluate these prospects because, God, what a grind this is to watch all of these different people. And I know that you got multiple different scouts who do all kinds of different things, but holy crap, the pressure of trading Timo Meyer and making these decisions between some of these guys, uh, the depth prospects and mid-tier B prospects and other organizations, like, wow, holy crap. Like, thank goodness that we have these people because, yeah, it ain't going to be me. Um, I'm I'm really torn on how to feel about some of these prices, like in trying to compare what Dubas did with Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari, bringing those guys in, which at the time felt like a lot to give up. And then we see the Janot deal yesterday, and I'm going, what the hell? Like, that's so much for a guy who... Yeah, he had a 24-goal season. Yes, he's a physical, good type of playoff performer that is probably going to fit perfectly into Tampa Bay, and it's going to work out fine for them because of the Tampa Bay Lightning. But the price for Timo Meyer in comparison to all these other deals, I don't know what I'm missing here, but it just doesn't... Yeah, it's, it feels very far off from what I expected it to be when we were first having conversations of, well, it's going to be nice and a first and, a, and something else. You know what I'm saying? Well... I get it to a certain extent, but first of all, I'm not going to doubt the Tampa Bay Lightning until, I mean, if, there, sure. if there's ever a team that knows, and I'll tell you one thing, last year I would have said that uh, Janot is the next unicorn coming up as far as, um, you know, uh, Tom Wilson slash that kind of player for the physicality that he brings plus his touch. He's notoriously one of the best leaders. I mean, his, his Western Hockey League team that I'd spoken with, they're off-the-charts leadership uh 
one of those guys that's a throwback player and he can skate, he's big, uh, brings all the intangibles. So the price, they clearly know they're going to get him re-signed um, and he's going to be a big-time physical pest. And with their skill level and the way they play in Tampa, he could easily start to get his touch back. And I mean, his touch back being, I, I think this guy somewhere lies shooting percentage is so vastly different between this year and last year that I think this guy is a guy that's going to score, you know, between 15 and 20 a year. Plus he's going to bring a physical presence that a lot of teams in the East would really covet, uh, i.e. Toronto and mm-hmm. Carolina. But I, I, and he's a playoff player. I think he's going to be a big time playoff player, but the, yet the cost kind of caught me. Oof, that's a lot. But again, there's only so few players like this that bring it and so many different capacities. So uh, uh, I'm not going to impress, but they've done a pretty good job in Tampa realizing at the deadline what's going to make them better. You saw that firsthand the, the last few years with their additions, whether it be a Paul or what have you. A um, yeah. little bit of – it's almost like it's amazing how when they sit out Elliot, I mean, the team kind of just takes like yesterday. I mean, I mean, sorry, when they sit out Vasilevsky like yesterday, they get waxed. And, I mean, obviously Cernak's out with the – suspension and they're a little banged up and surprising to get rolled over there by a desperate team but it's it's so strange just looking at you know who's going toe-to-toe in a, to whatever it is two months from now and just seeing the moves they make to see who's got to take down who and, and and it's remarkable I know we we talk a lot Leafs I still think that is an absolutely incredible trade I think he brings I just wish Jake Muzzin was in that room as well, but mm-hmm. he brings all of the intangibles that Muzz brings. Plus, um, you know, cons my trophy winner. I still, I made the, I made the look that as much as I know they're flipping things around and Kiefer's looking at things, you look at points, Stamkos and Paul. And clearly I felt that was an advantage. I mean, there's an obviously advantage Vasilevsky, you no know, disrespect to Samsonov, but um, until somebody knocks him off, he's the best in the business. But then, I thought they had the down the center. They had an advantage too, but now Matthews, JT, and O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. And I still think by kind playoff time that I think the Leafs now have the advantage there. And you can you can easily put uh, O'Reilly back up in that group when you have to shorten up or in different specialty situations. But I just mm-hmm. think the Leafs clearly are better down the middle. And uh, I, I'd love to see them add a defenseman as well because I still think there's a between experience and uh Difficult to play against Tampa Bay. I still think is better on the back end too. Even last night, as much as I like the fact that after a shaky start they settled down, uh, mm-hmm. I think that uh, they still give up a little too much in their own end. And and at least they didn't open it up wide open with Seattle, which I thought, oh geez, here we go. This is going to be eight seven, and that wasn't the case. They they put the cap on it and just played a great road game. So anyway. yeah, all due respect to uh, TJ Brody, uh, they have Victor Hedman. And it's just that that alone tips the scales to me so heavily that, yeah, of course you look at Tampa's blue line and say they're better. Yeah. Um, the four groups we can quibble with in terms of the entirety of the depth. But, yeah, I think I'm with you. I'm, I think that the Leafs are better down the middle right now. Okay, just to kind of wrap up, though, the trades, because I do want to touch on some Leaf stuff with you. Um, yep. How do you evaluate just like if we're looking at these four moves, like all these teams, these big four Eastern Conference teams, I don't want to include the Rangers just yet because they still haven't done it. But these four teams that have made additions, the prices that they paid, yeah, how do you evaluate just who you think has done the best? You don't until 
it's over. And I don't mean if you want a, a three quarters. Just so far. It's, just so oh, far. Just these so far. Up. Just these Toronto. four teams. I mean, I, yeah, honestly, that's, that's what I thought too. Because I think, I think today the best player in the group that's ready to win a Stanley Cup again is is O'Reilly, right? And I mean, whatever they said about him looking slow or, not, or they're losing a step, he, that's clearly, I mean, maybe at the end of a shift, him and JT look like they've dropped off a little bit, but he's hopping. I mean, and he is so smart that even when he loses a step, he's in the right spot anyway. So yeah, I would say O'Reilly's the best, and, that, and that's no slight. To, I think in the long run, you got to Meyer is the best player that's available because you're going to have him. He's still so young, but as far mm-hmm. as what you need to win right now, Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just. But you've got to. It's, it's. You've really got to evaluate. There is still that argument out there that I, they, they. If he's only a rental, that scares me. Um, and they still haven't addressed what I think is the is the loss of Jake Muzzin. And uh, and again, I don't. I, I start to fall in love with Samsonov. I have no idea where the hell Matt Murray is. And uh, on the back end, there's there's room to be done. Just because it's again, if if you're going up a bit of a question mark, but it's just and if and they've had nights where they can put it Vasilevsky just as he's a scary beast. So. That's the one that's in ice that you, you know you're getting. You see the bird. Like, it's so funny. Bunks, you're like sitting here. And I'm like laughing because I was doing this thing the other day. They were, we're talking about aging cores, right? And mm-hmm. they signed all these guys back in Pittsburgh. And they really, they can't add anything yeah, because of where they're, at, where they're at, right? So, but you get the Boston Bruins and you look at that core. And even if you start to add up the least salaries down the middle, and they're not going to be taking any, <laughs> We've already heard with Matthews is whether it's right or what he wants fifteen million when he's up. You look at what Boston's doing with Marshawn at uh, making just decent money. You've got you know Kretschy making one million. You've got um, Burr's making two one or I think he's making two five or something. That allows you to add great players around a, an already veteran core. Where some of these other teams are so like Pittsburgh's three top guys like the other. There's a Latang and uh, Malkin came back at 6.1. So it's really hard to improve these teams when you're tapped out salary-wise. That's why I'm sitting here looking at Carolina, mm-hmm. who if you really look at their big picture, that's the team I'm like, okay. And I know they're not right in front of the Leafs, but as you talk about teams that are supposed to be this is their year, and they've got $10 million in cap space, and I'm looking at what's out there thinking, hmm, did they miss the boat on some pretty really good players that aren't rentals. Of course they did. That's really yeah, 100%. Of course 100%. they did. It's, they, I was thinking if, if they had fans, that would be the most upset group on the planet right now. Well, I think they do. And it's yeah, an underrated fan see, base. I'm just, but teasing, not, I'm just they, teasing around. I know, but they, have, they really have to look. And now you're starting to – I was trying to look at the really the only – unless somebody's name that we don't know about, obviously Chickren's the big piece that's still out there that's got term. Yeah, but Blue Line, but is that what they needed? Like – no, no, not necessarily there, but that's what I mean. All the, the forwards that were available are kind of, they're now rentals. And I know for a fact that it's just Tom Dundon, unless somebody, you know, chloroforms him, is not going to, he's not big on trading futures for rentals, right? And that's just, a, it's not a bad thing. It's just, it's, it's something might have to change because when you look, Patrick Kane, it's, you know, it's almost a foregone conclusion where he's going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Van Riemsdyk's going somewhere, uh, and then, you know, you've got guys that, no disrespect, but, I mean, this Gavrikov guy, it sounds like they're going to rename the Norris after him the way they're talking about him. He's a good player. Mm-hmm. But right now, him and Schenner and, you know, Radko Gudish and Jake McCabe are being talked about. And these are going to be good depth pieces on a Stanley Cup blue line. But holy smokes, talk about a market that's been sold for these guys. 
Um, I do wonder, though, if there's some other teams out there, like, it's that maybe you're hearing talking to some other guys in front offices that considering the prices, the just draft picks that are being, that are flying around right now for some of these players that, yeah, maybe a team like Ottawa, even though where they, they clearly want to take a step and they, you know, get a new ownership, maybe they make a pivot or even the, it's tougher to do with the Penguins, right? But yeah, whether or not these, these, some of these teams that they decide to do what Washington did essentially, which is, you know what, let's grab some pieces and let's try to pivot into next year because it's loaded up at the top and we just, like, we're not there. We don't have it. But what do you get? What are you giving up? Yeah. <laughs> like, I could see, um, I could see maybe a Montreal. Uh, maybe all of a sudden it's like a, somebody like an Edmondson who they didn't want to move. Somebody might be just be going, well, just pull the doors off on mm-hmm. this guy. And you've got a team like Vancouver that, should be doing that, but their contracts are so atrocious that they can't move them. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want to do is, you know, like that's why I've also said those are for me those are draft day. Like they're not players; they're players that certainly could help you right now. But whatever you got, JT Miller kicking in at eight years, whatever times eight million. You're, all, you're to move him right now. Clearly, you're going to have to be retaining salary, so really you're not accomplishing anything. Now you're stuck with another whatever three million dollars for eight years on your books and dead money that you can't spend over a bad contract. So, and it's the same thing. It's not that Brock Besser couldn't help somebody. It's yeah. the fact that what, he's got three more years or whatever. It's six million dollars. The teams, teams that are right in the moves, unless unless you get two non-playoff teams that want to try and work something out by good player for good player or contract for contract, you think is going to make you better just by changing spots. Uh, the, the one player that I find amazing is you've got certain teams, like for example, Los Angeles that there's got to be a big question mark about goaltending. And it's not that Phoenix Copley hasn't done well. And my favorite goaltender in history is just really can't find it right now. And Jonathan Quick, and like, I mean, last year at this time, he was taking Edmonton to seven games, but he just can't find it right now. So you try and go after Chikrin and the goaltender, who I can't pronounce his name in Arizona, who's having a great year as well, because it, it really doesn't matter what you add if you're, if you're getting 800 goaltending. Uh, Thatcher Demko is a team for me that I look at a team like the Buffalo Sabres and go, if you've got all these assets, okay, I, I know this Lekka Luke Lukunen or whatever is a high prospect, but Thatcher Demko in, my, in the right setting uh, is, is to me the real deal, right? And Vancouver clearly isn't the right setting, but if they're shopping him around, as I hear they are, that's a non-rental trade that like any team is uh, with any kind of questions in the back end and, and that should be just jumping all over. Yeah, I know the Leafs uh, at least looked at him during the offseason, Demko. Um, and, yeah, we'll see. I just I still feel like that's one that probably has more potential going into this offseason when the Sabres have a little bit more of a clear picture. But I do – I really like that fit. The one to me that just keeps sticking out in terms of, like, being in that middle is what teams that – like, how some of these groups in the West are going to handle things. Like, I don't know how Calgary could justify buying right now, right? Like, you look at their last 10 games – it's not been pretty. And so, yeah, what I, what I guess when I'm asking questions like that, it, it circles around guys like your old friend Tyler Toffoli, where I go, well, why wouldn't they say, hey, um, what would you give us? Because there's two years left. He's $4 million. We might not be going somewhere, but then it's Calgary, and there's all the pressure to win. And I go, they're probably not going to do it. But with some of the prices that are flying around, where you can get all these like picks and maybe you end up freeing up a little bit of cap space and pivoting and trying to go into a next year. Like Those are the kind of teams where I, I always wonder why – 
in a, yeah, diminished market like the forward group is right now, where you just said it. J- is JVR the best guy out there right now? Is he the best remaining name in the forward groups? Because Kane's gone. And so when you're looking at it through that lens, if I was a fan of some of these teams, what I would want be wanting is for them to try to capitalize on that and not try to trick themselves into thinking there's some kind of a weird Stanley Cup contender that they can get hot and go on a run. It would be, hey, let's take advantage of a market. Let's try to get um, in with a team like Carolina that missed the boat and start floating players out their way that they might give us just a huge haul for that maybe do have an extra year of term because that's their sticking point. Well, there would be a player for sure. And Tyler Toffoli is not available by any stretch of the mind, but you're, there's exactly, and I'd be shocked because he's one of the few players that's continually bringing it on a great night and he mm-hmm. loves it there. And it's, it's a great fit. Um, and you're almost caught in a, what are we doing here? Like, because we, I think looking at it off the top of my head, I think their only UFA is Milan Lucic, right? Now, who wouldn't want Milan Lucic, the player, after watching what he did the other night? But Milan Lucic, the player, is making $6 million, and nobody's taking Milan Lucic no. at that, with that kind of cap hit, right? Uh, and I don't even know how you could shift salaries around to get him to fit him in with a team that he could provide some toughness down the stretch here. Um, but, I, again, you made all those big moves, and you signed all those guys to huge contracts, and I still I, I, I applaud Brad Treloving for doing that, knowing what was going out the door the other way. But it's it's going to be it's really hard because you're not going to all of a sudden turn into a rebuild with Daryl Sutter as your coach. There's so many different pieces that have to go and play. But I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, if you if you really wanted to, but the the piece you're looking at taking out there is such a valuable piece of their their now present and future. Mm. Um, I mean, if you're really sold on it, and I don't see it there, is I'm looking at I'm looking at Huberdo and saying. Okay, well, you know what? Maybe the Montreal Canadiens have got some pieces here that we can do a hockey trade that kind of changes our dynamic of someone that's going to fit here better. Whether it's you know whether it's um, oh who's the big tough winger that everybody likes there in uh, Montreal. Oh shoot. Anyways, he, he's he's one of the assistant captain there. Josh Anderson, sorry, mm-hmm. you, where all of a sudden Josh Anderson and another piece, a uh, good piece or a good young piece in Montreal is getting you know obviously a hometown kid with incredible skills and you're looking at a new look at the Calgary flames that maybe play a little bit more the style that they're successful with. Um, and you and you're taking out a salary that gives you a little bit of movement room. But right now to try and add players, like you'd think probably a guy like a Barbashev or would have been a good fit there. And they just don't have the, they don't have the pieces to move out and they don't have the, uh, cap space to do anything. So that's where it's so critical. But, you don't ever look at your team and think the one place you should look and just pat yourself and say, well, at least we're safe in goal. We got Markstrom and it's been the exact opposite, the Mm -hmm. exact opposite. So anyways, that's a tough one. How much pressure do you think is on the, like let's stay in Alberta and then I want to come back to Leafs, but how much pressure do you think is on the Oilers this week? Oh, a a ton. Yeah. An absolute ton. I mean, because once again, and, it, and it's not enough, but when you make that, it's one contract. Like you got two of the best players, one of the best player in the world for sure, and then a guy that's not too far behind him. You've got, you know, you've got the toughness with Evander Kane. You know, you make the move. Jack just, has just been, and I've, I've spoken so highly of him. I can't stand what's going on because of him as a kid, but accountability, he just has not played well at all, at all. And so you've got $5 million locked up in a goaltender that can't find his game. And you're 
grossly, in my opinion. I love Dar- Darnell Nurse, but you'll, you have to take me into a quiet room to convince me he's worth $9 million. And now you can't add to a situation that clearly needs that. Like, the whole Eric Carlson thing, I think it's a bit of a pipe dream. Obviously, everybody wants to see it because it would be magic. Mm. But you just can't see them figuring out a way, like, especially with Ken Holland saying dollar in, dollar out. Okay, well, yes, he'll two year if he doesn't get it done. Mm-hmm. So that's not enough dollars, and it's certainly not enough quality going the other way. Um, but now at least you see what San Jose is prepared to do if you want to do another six-for-six six trade, it's a, if that's their MO. But it's just they need to add another defenseman. Now, again, does it, is it a Gabrikov? Is it a Shen? I mean, the top guys are saying they want a puck mover, but, I mean, if you watch them play defense, I mean – I could see them. They need. They could use a physical guy back there that just moves the puck real quick. And there's some of those guys out there. But yeah, I think there should be heat on them to add another blue liner to this mix without question. Yeah, they feel like um, their destiny is gonna be Klingberg, like where they they go. We didn't get Carlson. We couldn't get it done. But we got the puck mover, and then. They don't get maybe the defenseman that you're talking about, but you're right. It, it's all gonna well, end up. It's all gonna I'm end up being you, for I'm telling you something, JD. Yeah. If you spend some some quality time, grab a nice case of beer and watch Klingberg no. play defense. Because you think I'm gonna watch what? Ducks games, buddy? I, it, you it, think it, I have no life? He, <laughs> you think that my cannot, life is worthless? He cannot. I'm okay. Then just go back and watch him play defense in Dallas because he didn't no. do it there either. Yeah. He can move the puck. He's not an elite point producer. He's an elite skater, and he can move it. But I don't think when you start to see the arms race, like him having to defend against if they somehow end up playing a team like Colorado and Landis Cog comes running out of the gate, mm-hmm. uh, oh, my God. Like this kid does not – It's not. he just doesn't want to defend. He doesn't defend. So beware, buyer, for me, buyer, buyer beware there. Right. And there's obviously – it's just not that kind of fit. If you need anybody that's – you're already a team that gives up a lot of opportunities. You know, maybe if you've got Vasilevsky behind, you're okay. But the way the, the Oilers goaltenders are being, this guy is just a freaking grade-A chance waiting to happen against you. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe it's him, maybe it's cause to spare. I, I just can't help but feel like those players, if they're asking for a puck mover and that's what they're wanting – that the front office isn't going to try to accommodate that in some way and get them someone offensive, oh, even, I, if it I, isn't the, even if it isn't the right fit. Like, I'm with you. I, I'm not I, in love with any of these guys, especially, like, Klingberg signed this deal where basically it was to get traded. It was basically to be like, hey, I'll play here, get a ton of minutes, put up stats, do numbers, and then at some point you guys move me, I go on a run with somebody, you guys are happy, you get picks back, and then I sign potentially yeah. a deal and a prove-me deal. It's like... Uh, I, I I haven't had one Klingberg discussion. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, this well, is the, the first problem. Is he, he turned down whatever six or six times yeah. six or six times seven with Whoops. Dallas, and you can't. Right, he's having a three million dollar year possibly, and the only reason you're giving him three million is based on his past, not what he's yeah. done this year. Yeah, this is all like basically what I'm driving at here is it does feel like there are some teams with real pressure on them to do something of significance, whether it's Edmonton or whether it's Carolina, and then you look at the market and go but there isn't something here for you to do. And that brings me back to Leafs, which is could they end up being winners in this where there's a bunch of teams that are trying to add stuff that they're not 
Like Toronto, maybe they end up getting in on another winger. I don't know how fe- how set they feel. If there is somebody else available out there for them that ends up coming on the cheap, it doesn't feel like that's going to end up being the case. It would feel like it would have to be some kind of a lottery ticket. But starting to look at the types of defensemen that are out there, the ones you just said, the the ones that can defend, I wonder if the prices start to come down after... Columbus seemingly missed on Gavrikov with Boston because if Boston wasn't willing to go up and pay that price, like I'm just struggling to see who exactly are the teams out there that are going to break the bank for him who feel like they're that close or that's what their need is. And yeah, maybe it is what you said. Maybe that is Edmonton, but now all of a sudden it does feel like there are a few extra just depth guys with a little bit of snarl that a team like Toronto could jump in and pick up. Yeah, again, but I mean, it depends what you're willing to move. And I mean, you can't tell it. We've had it. If somebody, if the right guy was out there, like obviously, obviously the perfect fit, right, is in my opinion, and that's right. I think I think Chickering. There's there's a deal to be done if you want to move your Arizona prospect, right? And he's not a rental, and it helps your team dramatically for the next few years if they want to move nice. Um, if I still think when you make that move you have and you, I mean, obviously they think they can do some things in the off season. I just think you don't, you got to try and find a way to mitigate the hole left by Muzzin. Um, mm. And it's not going to be able to, you're not going to get that type of player, but you, I think you've got to give yourself some depth option, just giving the amount of minutes they're given geo and how obviously how incredible he's reacted to it. But if all of a sudden you use, lose a TJ every year, they seem to, if they lose, when, if they, if they every, it was always Muzz, unfortunately, but yeah. the hole that was left when Muzz went out, it was just the same thing every year. It's like for a while, is it like the next guy up is Marinson, right? Mm-hmm. So now, now they obviously have better depth. You're seeing guys like Timmons and come in and out, and you know you've got your there's Lilligrens and et cetera, Sandines who can come in, and obviously they're much bigger upgrades on Marinson. But I just think getting a bit more veteran presence on the back end would be a huge get, considering where they're at. And uh, and then just hope you know hope nobody gets hurt. I mean, and not everybody is doing the same thing. Like it's mm-hmm. great to look at these things on paper, but you know, as we saw the year they lose Tavares, if you lose the wrong guy, and some of these guys play so hard that anybody could it could happen to anybody. Uh, and you, you just got to, That's part of the hockey gods. I mean, last year Tampa Bay loses Braden Point. You've just got to hope you remain healthy. But again, that whole next man up thing, you want your next man up to be not such a significant drop-off from your ideal lineup. And that's the teams that accomplish that. Like if, if somehow, I don't know what the player would be, but if Landis Cog, if they know Landis Cog isn't coming out of the gate until the season the playoffs start, the way Colorado's starting to come around, they have time to rest Makar. And if Landis Cog does a Kucherov and comes wheeling out and they add another big-time piece in the meantime, it's like, whew. Like that, they're going to be tough. They're going to be tough. Everybody talks about how powerful East is. I mean, watching Colorado recently, you're starting to see a much better, a much version, much closer to what they were last year, and that's a frightening thing for anybody. Yeah, it's still it. It kind of feels like the way the West is going to go is like last season, where maybe it's a collision course with Edmonton, and they're just a little, they're just not deep enough. They don't have the goaltending, whatever, to hang with Colorado. I, I still think that. Yeah, them and Net is spooky still too. Um, pretty unproven, and yeah, they're gonna have to get healthy. There are some big question marks for them, but yeah, obviously it's still gonna be the conference is still gonna run through them. Um, the nice thing that you mentioned there though with Chikrin, um, 
one, I keep, I go, does Toronto even have enough to get that done though? Even if you use Nyes, cause you don't have your pick this year. You only have your first, I think you have your first next year and the year after that. That's still the kind of asking price for a team like Arizona, right? Like they want a Nyes plus they want those picks. Yeah. Well, some, I mean, I'm just saying from a fit of it, that you've got the player that has the value of, you know, a first round pick plus plus, right? Mm-hmm. So it's the, the the haul you have to give back with that type of player. I, I just don't see anybody else that has a prospect, uh, you know, in their system that makes I mean, it, other than the Los Angeles Kings, and it, it appears there that that's probably, in my opinion, unless somebody, I'm missing something, I believe they already had a deal like, as far as the pieces being in place, and there was just something to do with the contract that mm. Arizona wasn't allowed to take on. There was a, it, was, it might have been Cal Peterson's contract that, that, um, they were hoping to, that Arizona would take, and they weren't prepared to take on a contract that length and term, and it fell apart. So I think that the pieces are there. Like if you talk about a team, Mark Kennedy and his group have done such a good job stockpiling down there that they do have the picks and prospects to add the player. But I, I, something's off because Rob Blake likes to do his business just like Kyle did, way out. He doesn't want to be sitting there on, on the second, you know, just grinding it out, trying to add somebody at the deadline uh, and then maybe end up with nothing. He, he likes to get his business done early. And that, that one surprises me that it hasn't been done yet. Okay. So assuming the Leafs aren't done, which it doesn't feel like they are. And assuming they don't go up to the very top and grab the Chikrin types. Is there a name? Is there, is there a defenseman that's out there right now that you think could be available that fits them? That gives them a little bit of that muzzin, but obviously he's not going to be playing 20 plus minutes a night in the postseason. but just someone that, can step in, give them a bit of mean, give them a penalty killer and a little bit of a buffer between, yeah, who you have currently with your 6-7, which is Sandine and Timmins, who don't exactly fit the that's what you want in the playoff mold for the Leafs right now. Yeah, for me, it's Shen. Uh, yeah. And it's a right shot. D. You basically can just retape and replay what you described you're getting as far as a guy that doesn't need to play up in your lineup. He's got character plus, 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 uh, he's a shot blocker, secondary toughness. Um, he's played in the Toronto market because that's a big piece too. So it's not like going to be a shock to him, but it's like being a leaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got, he's got Stanley cup pedigree. Now I know he was in and out of the lineup with those teams, but his name's in the cup twice. I uh, can't take that away from him. And I mean, I just think personally that the price is a lot more than people are. I mean, I was listening to, uh, to Kev Juice BX there talking the other night about, um, you know, where you get a fourth or, you know, it's not worth giving up for what he brings to, to Hughes with the leadership. But I think you could get a deal done knowing he's going back to Vancouver and it wouldn't surprise me if you could get a couple second round picks for him. I mean, that was the rumor last, that was the rumor last year that that's what Vancouver turned down um, at the deadline to keep him in Vancouver. Now, if that's true, I'm, I'm not saying it's, it, that's a lot. That is a heck of a lot. You better be putting up a. You better be hoping you're putting up a banner if you're, if you're giving up. To, uh, you know, for really a guy that on a on this team, he's not going to be in your top pairing, uh, and that's a lot to give up for somebody that's going to walk at the end of the year and uh, probably go back to Vancouver where he's a, a great fit. But if you can get that kind of price, which is the rumor, what they're asking for, like wow. <laughs> Wow, because he's only—I think he's only at eight hundred thousand, right? Which yeah, he fits in. He only, that's, that's only the at eight hundred thousand. He just—he just fits in salary-wise, right? Yeah, there's no. It's like I always, I always sit there and say, "Geez, you know, they right now they need Lubishkin again, right?" But in yeah. fairness, 
I don't think Libishkin, if, it's, if I'm right, I don't think he's a $2.75 million guy. Like, I don't, you could make the argument that you'd want Shanna ahead of Libishkin, and the price is so much different. It's, 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 it's tough. It's tough to be paying us like a legitimate D6 who blocks shots and plays tough $3 million. It's just mm-hmm. not feasible when your top M guys are making what they're making. No, it shouldn't really be feasible for a lot of front offices. It's just that's what happens. You end up having to pay a little bit extra for that because that's harder to find now in the league in general. Um, Mike, you're the man. Uh, I hope that this is, ends up being a fun week. I hope we end up seeing more than I sort of expect, and that maybe there's just you know one other juicy name that falls into the mix. There's got to be some. There's got to be some surprises, and I really do hope the Leafs get to find a way to add another piece. It's exciting to watch, but I I think there's more than four. My problem is, I do think the Rangers are the real deal. Yeah. I think New Jersey. I keep having to look back at it and go, holy smokes, they're good. Yeah. Pittsburgh's got to do something. The Islanders. I mean, God, they've got a. I think they're in deep trouble if they don't do something. I mean, that's why I know they lost Barzell, but there's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Like it's unbelievable looking at these teams in Carolina, who I would have as an arguably a favorite to win it all. They got ten million dollars in cap space and they can't find players to fill it. Yeah, that 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 that's the one to me still. That's the one to me still of how do you, yeah, how do you even go down to the dressing room and tell guys, yeah, we didn't do anything. You know, we didn't we didn't add anybody. So yeah, I'm gonna continue to yeah believe that Carolina is gonna start to put a little bit more pressure out there and and try to acquire somebody because yeah, in this arms race, they're the ones that kind of look like uh, the only ones that have stood pat and the only ones that need to do some. Thanks for coming on today, Mike. I'll talk to you soon, pal. Appreciate it, my friend. Be good. See you, buddy. Two-time Stanley Cup champion, analyst for Sportsnet, Mike Fuda. Okay, so uh, just to wrap that up quickly, after. When the Leafs first acquired O'Reilly and Achari, I said, I like this trade already. It is what it is. You had to give up a lot. There was only the one extra pick that had to do with the retention, but they got two forwards and both guys really helped them. Both guys fit the team unbelievably well. I I liked this quote from Keith on Ryan O'Reilly. Quote, he's very fun and easygoing guy. Doesn't take himself or anything else too seriously. Yet, his game and his routine, his craft, he takes extremely seriously and works very hard at it. That's a rare balance. You see a lot of guys that are very serious and at times maybe need to loosen up and have a little fun. I think he's got that good balance and great level of confidence that comes with the type of career he's had and accomplishments he's had, end quote. That, to me, really matters with the Leafs. He doesn't only provide them with the stuff on the ice. He provides them with that added confidence of someone who can probably knows when to keep it loose and bears down in the game and makes you feel more confident when you're on the ice. Huge win for the Leafs right now. And based on all these other prices, I got to say, I'm pretty surprised that other teams have had to pay so much for less. Janot might be amazing. And Mike just said it. I know we're all kind of doing the echo chamber thing of too much, too much, too much. But yeah, if he just said, that's my view to he evaluates these guys for a living and has for a very long time. And he described him as he thought he might be a unicorn. I'm guessing that Tampa feels pretty confident going, yeah, we'll give up draft picks when we're in a Stanley Cup contention window to go get an extremely heavy player who is going to be unbelievably awful to play against come postseason time. And when we're matching up with a Leafs team where we already don't feel like they have enough of that, we're going to add even more. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you understand it. They paid a lot though. Same thing with the Orlov deal. Yeah, Orlov, Hathaway, great. Nice pieces to Boston, already stacked, already working with a ton. You can understand why they did it. But to me, the outgoing price of picks 
being just as much as what the Leafs used for Ryan O'Reilly was a little surprising. And then now, really the only ones that I'm kind of looking at and saying that you could sort of compare it to is the Brock Best, uh, or sorry, the, the trade for Timo Meyer didn't look as jarring as I thought. You could kind of compare that one. And then the Bo Horvat trade, which Sneaky ended up being a pretty damn good price, especially if like the Islanders can find a way to climb into a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. A lot of people took shots at that, made fun of Lou, and now I'm looking at it and going, eh, turns out maybe they actually got the guy earliest on one of the better deals, depending on how those prospects turn out in Vancouver. Well, sorry, prospect. Yeah. Um, that one to me... And the Ryan O'Reilly trade, so far they look like the best ones. Anyway, quick break. Let's come back and let's wrap this sucker up. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right. A few minutes left in the show. We had a busy weekend. Very busy real sports weekend. What else did we mm-hmm. miss? So Craig Berube, head coach of the St. Yeah. Louis Blues. There were some, uh, some headlines Last week after they lost in overtime to Vancouver on Thursday, he had some uh, choice comments after the game about his team's performance. Our, our best players don't play with any passion, no emotion, and no no inspiration at all. They don't play inspired hockey. You cannot play in this league without emotion, grit, being inspired. Um, they're getting paid lots of money, and they're not showing. They're not doing the job. End of story. That's it. Damn. <laughs> Uh, you do not normally see that where coaches or GMs or whatever kind of boss talks about the money. Yeah. Uh, my guess is that this is probably not going over very well, especially in his room and it's not going to for a while, but, but I don't really care what the players say in response to this Mm -hmm. St. Louis was a team that was expected to stay in contention this year that completely fell out. Yeah. And I I don't think like, I'm not watching a ton of blues games. In fact, the blues games we saw, I talked about this last week with Cam Jansen. When they played the Leafs, they actually look good against Mm -hmm. Toronto. They look like a team that was trying, playing hard with passion, actually kind of the opposite of what Berube was talking about. But here's what I know about Craig Berube. He, uh, he played 17 seasons, mm-hmm. and if you want to go over, what were the adjectives he used there? Like, what he, he everything that he said in that, he, he played with. Mm-hmm. And I think that he actually has the stripes to be able to comment on those things. And I'm really trying to get off this topic because I, I don't like being overly repetitive. And I, I think it, from my, from my standpoint anyways, as somebody who does listen to podcasts and who likes to read columns, I, it was always very frustrating for me as a, uh, as a listener when a host or a columnist would continuously beat a topic to death and I would go, okay, man, move off of it. Mm. But the reason why I keep doing this is because I, I genuinely care about sports and I'm trying not to be just old man who does the nostalgia well back in my day. no. There are things about pro sports now that I like a lot more. There are things that have improved, but I am worried about the way, especially NHL and NBA players approach regular season sports right now. They get a ton of money and 
the value of these things seems to really have diminished. And to me, there is a, what he's talking about, playing in that league without passion and grit, I think we are losing a lot of that in a sport that desperately needs it. The NBA, it doesn't matter as much because you can have Damian Lillard pull up from the logo and knock down a three last night, score 41 points, and you go, who cares? In one half. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Who cares that the Houston Rockets are lifeless and trash? Yeah. Because we got to see Damian Lillard tonight. Yeah. And that skill payoff is just much greater than anything the NHL can present outside of Connor McDavid nights. Mm -hmm. That's one market. Everything else, it's just, it's not, the skill and athleticism is not as obvious to just a casual passerby. You can be from anywhere on planet Earth, and I can show you LeBron James in his prime run the floor, and you can go like, what the hell is that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's hard to pick up on the skill nuances of hockey in the same way, and to understand how difficult it is, and yes, how skillful a lot of it is. People know that skating is hard and stick handling is hard. I get it. It's just that these are not natural things that a person does. Mm-hmm. Everybody dribbles a basketball pretty much at one point in their career. Yeah. Right? So hockey needs this. Hockey needs that toughness. They need that intensity. And mm-hmm. to me, it's starting to diminish. And I think there are a lot of different reasons for this. The money, the schedule, the times, and... The big one to me that I am continuing to reiterate is I think that hockey more and more is becoming a sport of the rich and the privileged and one that it's fewer kids that have their own internal drive that are pushing them to the NHL Mm -hmm. and more the generation of kids whose parents are the ones that are pushing them to the NHL. Yeah. Because if you're going to make it now, you have to be... Power skating at five years old. You got to have parents who are willing to dole out the bucks immediately. Tons of money right away. Make sure that you have ice time. Make sure that you have skating. Make sure that you have the equipment. Make sure that you're playing a ton of leagues. Make sure that you're playing competitive rep, not just house league. Otherwise, you don't really have a chance. And to me, I think a lot of these guys that are starting to enter the NHL... Mm-hmm. have been professionalized at a very young age where mm-hmm. hockey was not the fun thing they did. For everybody else making the NHL before them, hockey was the thing you did for fun and the thing you needed to want more than anybody to make it. Now it's not that. Yeah. And this is happening again in basketball too. There are some sports that it, this is going to happen in all of them to a degree, but hockey I think is the most um, obvious of them all just from the point of entry or the cost of entry, sorry, standpoint. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's why I think you have a lot of guys who rather than go do something, like they just want to kind of play video games. And and I'm not, this isn't a shot of video games. I don't want to be misconstrued (laughs) at this. I'm just saying like, that's what they're doing for fun. They're not playing hockey for fun. This is something that is almost a job to them from the time they're 13, 14 and up. Just business. Yep. And I think that when business goes bad, that's kind of the way they treat it and the passion part of it goes away. And that's what I'm feeling. And uh, I'm scared of it. I really am. It's exactly what Berube said. They don't play with any passion. That's it. And uh, I'm scared of that stuff. And so, yes, for a guy like Craig Berube, I think that he is absolutely the kind of guy who can identify it. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of us are seeing it. And a lot of people are having a tough time putting quite the finger on it. But this this is what I'm seeing. And this is what I'm feeling. I'm afraid of it. I'm just trying not to beat it to death because I don't know how many people want to hear me talk about it day over day. And it just does sound like old man yelling at cloud. (laughs) Anyway, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars if you can on Spotify or iTunes. You can leave a review on those things and shoot me a follow at JD Bunkus on Twitter and Instagram. I'll see you tomorrow.